0: Now, I know that this is the Christmas season. How many know that this is the Christmas season? It's been the Christmas season for some people before Halloween. (laughs) Anyway, that's what they want you to do because they want you to spend all your money, right? So, and I thought, well, I'm going to preach a Christmas sermon. I thought, you know, this kind of applies to that. So we're going to be still be in the Sermon on the Mount, in case you're interested, it's number 25 think, man, how can anybody preach that long on one couple chapters? It's real easy, (laughs) evidently. For me, so Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this has a lot to do with Christmas, really. And when you think about it, because this is the time of the year some people go crazy, don't they? They go out and and they uh, hawk next year for this year because they're trying so hard to buy uh, the stuff that they think they need or the things that they think other people think they need. And it kind of puts them in a mess. And this all boils down to this issue. We're trying to serve two masters. And uh, Jesus had a lot to say about money, There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible, and it's hard to see how we're supposed to to live because you can find, how many know that if you want to believe something, you can find a verse to kind of support it if you cherry-pick verses? We can do that. I don't care what the subject is. You can find something in here that'll appear to support that view if you cherry-pick and you don't uh, take the scriptures in context, context. Then it's real easy to find verses. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. That means we have to go out and drink, drink, doesn't it? We can cherry-pick any verses we want, so it's kind of hard to know how we're supposed to live our lives. Uh, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now there's a pretty... Oh, (laughs) That's my, my commentary I put in their verse. That this is not there. This is me, not there. It wasn't there. I just messed it up. And it says, now, this is a pretty strong statement against anti-materialism. We're not supposed to love anything that has any... So we spend a lot of time saying, oh, man, I can't love that. I can't love that. I can't do this because I, I can't do it. And so we're there. And then we go to the next verse, or the next chapter, John third John, there's only one chapter in 3 John, but I put that there so you wouldn't be confused. Verse, Chapter 1, verse 2, be "Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now we're in a dilemma because the same guy wrote both verses. It messes us up because it seems to think that, oh, we're supposed to live in poverty by the one verse, and by the other verse we're supposed to be prosperous and all that other stuff. So it looks like it contradicts each other, but in reality it doesn't. See, we have to be able to find some, something in here to tell us exactly what is the Bible telling us about these two things. We aren't supposed to love the world, and yet we're supposed to prosper. And how many know that there's no conflict in the Bible? None. None. There's no contradiction. If there's a contradiction, it's because you've messed it up in your head, and you haven't read enough and researched it, because there's no contradictions in the Bible. And when you approach any verse that you think is a contradiction, with that knowing that one fact, you will find the answer that you want. That you want. <laughs> Not that you want the answer that you need, that God wants you to have. So uh, the serve, in, these, in the verse that, that can't serve two masters, the serve literally means to be a slave to. So you can't be slave to materialism and God. It's impossible. And master, master literally means absolute ownership. So when you serve one or the other, and you're a slave to it, and how many know that a slave doesn't get to determine what they want to do? Right. If you're a slave, if you don't get, you don't have any choice. You do what you're told. And when you're a slave to the things of this world, you're out of control. It tells you what you're going to do. Your whole life is built and uh, goes according to what those things say. But if we serve God, that's the same thing. If we're going to serve God, then that's, that's our main focus that we have. Now, there's three words that describe this slave-owner relationship. The first word is choice. Some of us are the slave to the world, and some of us are the slave to the materialism. And I know that most of us don't like to think that we're a slave to materialism. But there's only two choices, and we choose the one that we're served. Think, well, which one am I serving? Well, that's what I hope to show you. <laughs> And I know that all of us don't want to get there, including me. So remember, everything I say this direction, I got one finger this way; the rest of them are pointing back at me. So I get this all week when I'm working on these sermons. So I'm getting more than you are because I need it more than you do. So don't feel bad if I beat up on you. It's because I beat up on myself before I got to you. So, but God, Jesus is telling us we can't be slave to both of them at the same time. It's impossible. Like I tell people, Christians cannot be possessed. How many know that? Yeah. If, a, if somebody says they're possessed, they are not a Christian. We can be oppressed, but not possessed. Now, see, what's the difference? Well, oppressed is from the outside. And the devil oppresses us a lot. He jabs you here and he jabs you there. And anything that happens to you that's bad is from the outside. Possession happens in the inside. And I'm not a duplex. I can't serve God. Jesus can't dwell in my heart and a demon at the same time. So the reality is, if you're a believer, you cannot be possessed. So don't worry about it. You may walk into a room and somebody is possessed, and they will not like you. But all you got to do is say, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. Because we have that name and we have the power. So don't worry about it. Well, we not only cannot be a duplex, we cannot serve two masters. We're either on a puppet string to one or the other one, and I want to be God's puppet. I wonder how come we haven't written a song about that. I want to be the puppet to Jesus. Hmm. Why don't you write that song, Calandra? (laughs) So, but no one can be slave to both. And it's kind of hard this time of year, isn't it? You know, this time of year is when that that materialism kind of sticks up its ugly head because we're trying to buy Christmas gifts for our family and loved ones and people that we feel obligated to buy presents for and yet not be a Scrooge. And if anybody should love Christians, Christmas, it should be Christians, right? This is our holiday. I know that the devil has tried to hijack it and he has to a certain degree, but it's up to us to stand up and start fighting for our holiday. This is our holiday, after all, Christ is in the mass. It's Christ's mass. That's how, where we got the word from. So in case you're wondering, so it's all about Christ because that's what we celebrate It's Christ's birth. So it's harder at this time of year for believers to not get involved in all this commercialism because, oh, I have to buy all these presents for people. Who said you had to? There ain't no rules and no book that I've ever seen that says you have to buy all of your nieces and nephews presents. Anybody got a book, seen a book like that? I haven't. We do it because we feel obligated to. And when, we were, when our, our kids were growing up, we did that. We bought for all our brother, nieces and nephews, and pretty soon there was too many of them. I can't even name all my nieces and nephews. Or great nieces and nephews. What do you stop? So we started drawing names. How many drew names? We drew names because there's so many. Then pretty soon I said, hey, let's just forget about it. Why do we need to buy the gift? What's the point? Trying to find something. Of course, then it was something. Well, we'll put a limit on it of $10. And Everybody today's laughing at $10. But you could buy decent gifts for 10 bucks then. It was a lot of money. How many could buy it? See, if you figure if you make $20 an hour, that's probably $40 worth of, or four hours worth of stuff back then. That's, that's a lot of money then today. so But we just did away with it because it wasn't about the, the, what you're doing. It was about the, trying to find a gift and you, and you pull your hair out because you can't find the gift. So if you're more worried about the buying and stuff, then you need to have a problem. And say, well, they don't like me if I won't buy them a present. So they don't like you. It's one less person you have to buy for. Yeah. We worry too much about this stuff. We act like if we give them a present they're going to love us. No, they won't. If they don't love you before, they won't love you after. Gifts mean absolutely nothing. So we need to watch that because we have, we have a choice to do it. The second word that describes the owner-slave relationship is control. Whatever we choice we make controls us. It controls where we go, what we do. It controls everything about our life. If it's materialism, we're going to do everything we can to have. i got to have, i got to have. And the uh, same is true for Christ. We want to do everything to please Christ. So that's the thing. Whatever we choose is going to control us. And a lot of people are going fight to fight to uh, try not to spend more than they can afford. But the problem is just too many people don't do that. If I couldn't afford somebody growing up, I didn't buy it. I didn't care. And of course, when my kids were growing up, I was very careful to spend the same amount on every kid. And you're sitting there, and I'm keeping an all of this, how much it's cost because I didn't want one kid to think I favored one kid over another. I mean, it's ridiculous when you have to do that. It isn't about the gift. It's about how much you spend on each kid. So I have a little book, and I write it down, so I don't do that. Of course, sometimes it, it, it looks bad, because sometimes you buy stuff on sale, and it's cheaper than this over here that you didn't get on sale. But honest, Sheldon, we spent equally, equal, equal. I, well, I don't have I said I have the books, the pages to prove it, but not no more. (laughs) And the third word that describes this owner relationship is confidence. Whatever we choose, that's where we have our confidence. I believe in God, and I serve God, and I believe that no matter what happens, God's in control. And it doesn't matter what it looks like, I know ultimately God is in charge. But if we're uh, led by materialism, then that's all we have. You know, i got to do this because that controls my life. If I don't make enough money, then I'm miserable. Isn't that what it is? If people have a money issue, they're miserable. But if a Christian has a money issue, it doesn't matter because they know God's going to take care of you. I love being a Christian just for that alone in the society we live in. Now, there's two things that show... Who we serve, and I know you're gonna. You you can probably guess them. The first one's our calendar. You can look in your calendar and see who you serve. Church Sunday, ah, Wednesday once in a while if I ain't got nothing else to do. Tuesday movie, to Thursday, Friday we do all these other kind of things. Now I know that we're obligated to do certain things. You have to go to work to earn a living. I understand those things, but the true test is. What do you do with your spare time? Your free time? What do you do when no one else is around? That's a good way to ind- indication of seeing who you serve. And the second one and I'm glad you brought this one up it's your checkbook. And amazing, it always comes down to the checkbook. <laughs> and you can look through it, go home and look through your own checkbook. If you have a checkbook, if not, you know, my mother had a little book, she wrote down everything that she spent. Everything she made, everything she spent. And she knew where every penny went. And I know that most of us know where our money goes. Anyway, you should. We need to know where our money goes. Otherwise, it's gone. It goes fast enough without knowing where it goes. But if you look there and you see that all your money is spent at McDonald's and Wendy's, because you, you can't buy cheap food anymore at Wendy's or McDonald's. I know they have the value meals. Well, we're trying to give God a value meals. It doesn't work like that. It isn't what we get, it's what we get to keep. And so we can look at those things and see where our heart is. Now Webster defines materialism as the theory that physical well-being and worldly possession constitutes the highest value and the greatest good in life. But a Gallup poll asked people in America what was personal success was their top answers. The top answer to what is personal success was good health, enjoyable job, happy family, a good education, peace of mind, and good friends. So the dictionary is all wrong. It doesn't have it like it should. But the problem is those things that I mentioned, we think we can get it with money. We think, well, if I make enough money, I'll love my job more, and I, I guess we would to a certain degree. But when all that stuff money does not buy, because it starts in here. But doesn't start here, it doesn't matter. You can can be healthy. You can have a nice family. You can have a great job. You can be um, highly educated. And nothing to worry about. A lot of friends and still be miserable if you don't have money. Because if that's where your hope is. Because we've got things all mixed up. (coughs) But See, the problem is, is, how do we figure out what it is? Is it poverty? Are we supposed to have poverty? Are we supposed to give everything away? Or if we're prosperous, how do we know what we need to do. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now this verse is the one that supports the people who believe in poverty. See, Jesus told the guy, go sell everything and follow me. And so they think everybody should go sell everything and follow me. Now, if you feel like this, you can, you know, give it to the church. If you want to live like that, that's fine. But see, that's a verse, and it's true, and it happened. But see, if you take it in context, you find that's where his heart was. His God was materialism, and Jesus addressed it. And if your God is materialism, you need to get rid of your love for it, whatever it takes. And Jesus knew if he could do this, he would break that bondage in his life. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And so now we have a group of people running around saying, you got to give everything away. Only the poor are Christians. And I grew up with that to a certain degree. They thought the, the pastor supposed to be the poorest person in the church. And I don't believe that way. I believe the pastor should be the richest person in the church. Yeah. I do. And I think every, every believer should have a lot of money in the bank, nice cars, nice homes, and all those things. I believe that to be true. But see, then we have the guy that Jesus dealt with here, and he couldn't handle it. There's some people here that couldn't handle having all the money that you think you want. I keep telling God I can. I can handle it, God. Honest, you can trust me. You can trust me, but he doesn't. Because God knows me better than I know me, and he knows you better than you know you, and God will give you just what you need. Not what you want all the time, but what you need. And so there's that group that uses that, See, this group of people, they're so preoccupied with their daily needs because they don't have anything. And when you don't have something, that's what you worry about the most, isn't it? <laughs> and it's miserable. That's a miserable life. Well, that isn't the life God has for us. So God doesn't want us to give it all away. Now, poverty people are usually legalistic, too. Has to be done a certain way. You've got to do this this way. God loves me more. The more I give up, God will love me more. And the more spiritual I am if I'm poor. And they they judge everybody else by their spirituality. And they believe that if you have money and financially well off, it's because you got it there dishonestly. People have to justify their poverty somehow. So they say, I'm willingly poverty. I have poverty because I want to be poor. This isn't in here. It doesn't tell you you have to be poor to be a believer. There are some people that need to be poor to be a believer because it would interfere with their life. And I would rather be poor and be able to go to heaven than rich and not because that's where my, my God is. See, because you only worship one God. It's either going to be God or it's going to be mammon. That's God's words, not mine. I didn't say it. He did. Because he knew there was going to be a problem in our society. And they had a problem with it then, too. There's nothing new. Uh, A lot of people think, well, all the money we get here should be given to missions. We shouldn't spend money out there wasting on that building. They think we should give it to missions. Well, people don't realize that we live in a mission field. Even if we didn't live where we live, it's a mission field, especially in this day and age. Have you lived in America very long and walked the streets and not, not known that? We live in a mission field. Sometimes your mission field's in your own house. Trying to win your own children to God, or your husband, or your wife, to God. It's a mission field, and it's a mission field as soon as you walk out your door. We live in a mission field. One of the greatest mission fields in the world is here. If you don't believe that, you need to read your Bible, and you need to get on your knees and tell God to show you that, because until you do, you won't reach him because you won't care. We reach people because we care about them. But when we think that everybody's saved in America, which we, a lot of people do, ask people on the streets, they do surveys, and 80% say they're a believer. They're a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, if we got 80% of America that's Christians, why do we have such a mess? Because they're not. Saying it doesn't make it so. It's giving up everything and giving your life to God. That's what does it. Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, 6. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. There's a second group of people that we have, and they're called, uh, what is it? They plant seeds, seed planters. If they have a need, they plant a seed. And man, there's lots of people on TV who says, hey, give me a $100, plant a seed in my ministry, and God will give you a $1,000 back. Wow, that's a good deal, isn't it? Man, sign me up. Plant seeds. And that we hear a lot of sermons about that. Prosperity, seed planters. If you want something, you plant a seed. If you want corn, you plant corn seeds. If you want money, you got to plant money. Well, where do you plant it? In this TV ministry. That's where. Why not plant it in your local church? <laughs> in your own backyard? Why not plant it in your own garden? <laughs> Well, we have a lot of that, and they convince you. I'm not kidding you. Those sermons I listen to, and man, I, I want to sell my house and give it to them. Don't listen to them. That's the other group of people. We have the poverty people, and then we have the other side that says, God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be a millionaire. He wants you to have a Cadillac every year. That isn't in the book. If you can handle it, God will give it to you. God didn't say he's going to give you a Cadillac. It's just as easy for God to give you a Cadillac it is an old beat-up car. But if you need one, need a car, God will see to it you get one. You put your faith in him. But they believe that the poor, that isn't God's will. The poor believe it's God's will, they're supposed to be poor, and the other group believes that they should be rich. And that's their doctrine that they teach. Those are the two groups, and you don't want to be part of either one of those groups. I'd rather be poor than prosperous than I would poor. And people say, well, Jesus was poor. Well, I don't, you better read your Bible again because he had a secretary. He had a treasurer who took care of the money. How many of you have somebody take care of your money? Nobody? <laughs> now, he was poor probably by today's standards, but, they, you know, he gave up everything he had to do that, and he needed money to live by. How do you think they bought food to eat with? They got to have money from somewhere. Didn't? Did, I wish they would have said something about him taking up an offering. Just once. I could use it in my sermon. Just once. <laughs> no, because he said, you give it all. It all belongs to God. And I don't mean to be poor either. Now, there's a third group, and their main verse comes from the parable of the talents. I'm not going to go through the whole whole thing, but he had... People that had talents, some he gave one, to others he gave five, and others he gave ten. And he said, go invest them, and he come back. And the one that had ten doubled it and had 20. The one that had five doubled it and had ten. But the one that only got one, he went and buried it because he knew he was a hard master, so he buried it. Didn't want to lose the money. And he was rebuked because he didn't, why didn't you at least put it in the bank to get interest on it? See, God didn't call us to give everything away because if we give everything away, we have nothing to give. What are you going to give? If, you've already, if you're so poor and giving it all away to one particular thing, what happens when the next need comes up? Because you don't have any money. You don't have nothing to give. And God can't bless if we don't give. It's, it's a law. I don't understand it. How it works, God does. He set it in motion. So there's that group of people. And I think they call it stewardship. And I know that I've, heard, I've said it a lot here. And it, stewards believe that uh, the possessions are in a trust. And we're just overseeing them. God gives it to us in various degrees. And he tells us what to do with it. Like I said before, it isn't how much we give, it's how much we get to keep. And, and as a steward, we know that God, well, God takes care of everything. He takes care of our needs. If you need a car, God takes care of it. And I'm just the steward of our car. The car belongs to God. The house belongs to God. This church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And we're overseers of it. We make sure that we need to do what God wants us to do with these properties. And the same thing with your house. If you look at everything you have as belonging to God and you're just an overseer, it takes a lot of pressure off off of you. And you're rewarded by what you did with what he gave you. So if you go hide it, he isn't going to be happy with it. Now, prosperity, prosperity people believe that prosperity is a sign of God's approval. If you're wealthy and well-off, it's because God loves you more than he loves somebody else. And that's not true. God doesn't love anybody more than anybody else. If you have more uh, money than someone else, it's because God trusts you more with it. And if you're not faithful with the much, you're not going to get be faithful. <laughs> if you're faithful with little... God won't ever be faithful. What's it? If you're not faithful to the little, you'll never have much. That's what it is. Blah, blah, blah. just brush my teeth, can't do the thing with my mouth. So we need to understand that. Now prosperity people, like I said, they th- think it's a sign of, uh, of God's approval. Now the worst thing about poverty is poverty people are arrogant at what they give up. You know, people say, I gave this up for God. Oh, feel sorry for me. And the others are arrogant. And says, I've been blessed by God. Look what I got. See, there's the both ends of the spectrum. That's why you can see how, why they're wrong. I don't want to, of course, if I'm going to choose one, I want the one with the has. I don't want to be the have not. <laughs> I'd rather be the have. <laughs> and I believe that God wants us to have stuff, but not to, to gloat it over other people and show what we got. It's so we can utilize it for us. That's why I believe that God blessed America and started it so we could bless the nations. And we did bless the nations. The the gospel went to the world because of America. But now we're losing that. We're losing it. If we don't turn it around, we will no longer be blessed. We will be cursed. And I do not want to be cursed by God. Because, oh, God won't hurt us. You better look at Judah and Israel. When they turned their back on God, look what happened to them. And I'll tell you, if he'll do that to to Israel, he'll do it to us. Once we start turning our back on him, he won't tolerate it. And I just hope that doesn't happen until he comes and takes us all out of here. So, now, there's nothing that can produce more guilt than to say, if you serve God, you'll always be prosperous, and you'll always be healed. That makes everybody feel guilty, doesn't it? Because if you have a need, you think, oh, man, I don't have enough faith. What's the matter with me? How come I'm doing this? How come this is happening? We can't do that because God has proportioned things to each of us this morning to be in charge of. Maybe it's $100, maybe it's $1,000. I don't know it's between you and God. And I'm not even going to try and tell you what that is. But everything that we have belongs to God. He gave it to you. You say, no, I didn't, I did it myself. No, you did not. You'd follow back the tracks. You find out that God did gave you everything that you have See, there's a. <clears throat> so, seed planters, they do it to get. Poverty just gives it away so they can brag about what they gave away. But being a steward, that's, that's what God's plan is. Now, seed planting was initiated by man, tithing was in, initiated by God. So, that in itself should tell us something, right? Yeah. Tithing deals with what we have, seed planting deals with what we want. Can you see what's wrong with seed planting? I'm going to give them $100 so I can get a 1000 But what if you don't get the $1,000? Then what? What are you going to do? We have people that have their faith in those kind of things, and then they lose their job, or the car breaks down, or their kid gets sick, and then what are you going to do? God doesn't love me anymore. Guess I I'll, guess I'll just go serve mammon. That destroys more people than I think anything because they have their faith in the wrong things. They use the stuff that they have as showing the sign of God's favor. God's favor for us is the fact that Jesus died for us, and our name's written in the book of life. That's where our faith is. That's where our hope is, not in how much money we have in the bank. God says to be faithful with what we have, and we need to realize we don't own anything. We're just in charge of it and use it like God wants us to. Now, believers who are financially blessed make four mistakes, the first is they take credit for it. A lot of people that have a lot of stuff, they're believers, and they look what I've got, look what I did. I worked this, and I did this, and so we have a tendency to think we earned it. In reality, God gave you more because he wanted you to do more with it. And we, if we become hoarders, I don't know, I don't want to be a hoarder. <laughs> I've seen shows. I told Randy, I think he's a hoarder. <laughs> Sometimes. You know, when we moved here, I got a 40-foot roll-off. And he says, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to throw stuff in it. He says, we don't have enough stuff to put in there. I says, yeah, yes, we do. It's a good thing I did it when he wasn't home. But it was full when it left. I miss my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's got that 45-foot trailer. sits at the side of his, out- his garage. What's in it? Stuff we need? Important stuff. Important stuff, yeah. Well, I know our Christmas stuff's in there, too. So, you know, some of it is. But, you know, it's just a matter of, that, so, you know, we just love our stuff, don't we? But uh, we need to realize that everything we have, God gave us. Job 1, 2, 121b. Oh, I forgot to read that. I already I read it, but I didn't read it. So, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Job, I read the Bible through every year, and I hate it when I get to Job. I tell Randy, "Uh oh, I'm reading the book of Job. He says, don't read it. (laughs) Seems like every time I get in the book of Job, something happens. I want to tear it out of my Bible. (laughs) But if we look at Job, he was a very righteous man, and yet he had, he had everything there wasn't, and he had nothing but a nagging wife. Now I tell him the best thing that could have happened to him is God would have took the wife. <laughs> you know? Because there's nothing worse than a nagging wife. I'm glad I don't have a nagging wife. And neither does Randy. Because <laughs> nagging is one of the worst things that we can do. So if you want to try and get your husband to love God, don't nag. They said it's worse than there is to anything. And I read this sign that says, you don't need to nag. If if I said six months ago, if you told me six months ago to do something, I will. You don't need to tell me again. For six months, you know, you'll have to remind them. But uh, nagging doesn't work. Now, the second era believers... Make as you, who are blessed financials, make it is in gratitude. Now, I know I talked about gratitude last week because it was Thanksgiving, but it isn't just a Thanksgiving thing. It's a daily thing. Sometimes we, we have problems in our life, and we think, oh, man, oh, this bad stuff's happening to me. Well, we need to start looking at the stuff that we got. We are drawn to the negative. I have a flat tire. What am I going to do? Thank God I got a spare. I got three other tires on the car, but we fixate on the one that's flat. I'm glad I have a spare. Thank God for the spare. Or thank God for a husband that'll change it for you. (laughs) You know, it's amazing to me. I've had uh, uh, mechanical things happen. I had a flat tire on on I-70 one time coming home late at night and... I no sooner had that f- flat tire, like, in fi- long enough to call around and tell him to come and change it, and somebody pulled up behind me and offered to change my tire. I ran out of gas one time because a man said we had plenty of gas, and it wasn't him, it was my ex-brother-in-law, when I was drove back to see my sister, and uh, we ran out of gas, no sooner ran out of gas, somebody pulled up behind us and towed us 10 miles to the gas station. I'm there's so many things, that we start looking at them, we'll find stuff to thank God for. Then all of a sudden, that flat tire or whatever isn't so important to us. I'm thankful that I had a phone that I could call. I don't know how we ever lived without cell phones. I'd have had to walk to the exit, and it was at night, or wait for a cop to pull, me, pull you over. And you know the cops are never there when you need them, right? How many have ever had a cop there when you needed them? I didn't need it the time they pulled me over to give me a ticket either, but they were there. So we have an attitude thinking that because I'm God's little darling, I deserve all this stuff. Well, we don't deserve anything. All we deserve is hell. But Jesus loved us, and he came, and he died for us, so we don't have to go there. So we need to be thankful for that alone should make us happy. The third error believers make is feeling guilty. Now, I know that it's amazing, all the people that have all the success, how many of them end up drinking, doing drugs, and all kinds of stuff that they have? Justin Bieber, who was the heartthrob of all the kids or whatever, look at his life. Man, every time we turn around, he's in, he, well, I don't know where he is now. He's on the news. He did this or he did that. He had so much success, but he didn't know what to do with it. And I think to a certain degree, he believed that he didn't earn it. And so they're trying to to live with that, whatever's going on in their heart. They may not even know it, but they're trying to escape reality. And that's what happens when you get a lot of stuff with no no, uh, gratitude in your heart, I guess. I don't know. I I wouldn't do that, God, though. I wouldn't, I promise. And you wouldn't either, right? See? So there are people that give up all their positions to serve God. Mother Teresa is a good example of that. She believed in that, and God gave her a heart to do that. There are people that God will do that for. I don't have to be one of them. But if he gave me a heart to do it, I would. Whatever God wants me to do, I'll do. That's the reality of it. But he hasn't called me to do that. But he called her to do that, and she was very influential before she died. If you wanted something done over there, you got a hold of her, and it would happen. Uh, What was her name? Bontane? I don't remember what her name was. She said she was trying to get something in and she couldn't get the government to wouldn't do nothing. She just called her and it was there next week. Because she was so powerful in her life that she had Everybody, even non believers, respected her for it. So and the fourth error area error we make as believers who are blessed financially is dependence on the prosperity. We depend on that. That's all that's what our life is. That's what our hope is. Is there. So if we lose something, we're lost. Because that's our God. We may not admit it, but if we lose our job, man, we're (laughs) pulling our hair out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Or something breaks down, what am I going to do? Because we're... (laughs) That's where our hope is. But when our hope is in God, we say, God's going to work it out. I lost my job. I was looking for a job before, and God always provided. God's always provided for me a job when I needed one. Every single time in my life. Even when I really didn't want one, I wanted unemployment for a lot longer, but <laughs> but I got a job. Anybody that wants a job and they're a believer, they'll get one. That's the reality of it. We know that here, if we don't know anywhere else, when we pray here, it happens, right? It happens. So we have that. So we kind of expect to have it. But stewardship doesn't ask what we give up or what we're going to do. We ask what does God want us to do. There's a big difference between those things. Now, people. I've heard people say, if I get a million dollars, then I'm going to tithe. No, they won't. If they can't tithe on $10, they'll never tithe on 100000 Never. Because $10, a dollar out of $10 to us doesn't seem like a lot. 000, I can't give God $100,000. What's the matter with me? So it's a reality. That's why you need to teach your kids when they're younger to do that. If you teach them when they're little, they just grow up to expect it. Because the tithe belongs to God. And he says, those that that aren't paying them are stealers and they're robbers. They're robbing God. Will a man rob God? You take it up with God. He wrote it. I didn't. A believer kept praying, God, let me win the lottery. After a while, he heard a voice saying, at least buy a ticket. You know? (laughs) We want God to do everything for us. Let me have a lot of money. We'll go out and look for a job. The pastor had a tobacco-growing farmer's attend his church. They knew how he hated tobacco and preached against tobacco, and those tobacco farmers would come in with their tobacco crop every year. One guy put his check out and said, I suppose you don't want this. I got it from raising tobacco. He said, I sure do. The devil's had it long enough. (laughs) That's the reality of it. You know, who are we to judge what people can give to God? We pray for the people, and God can do anything he wants. And there's no such thing, you can't even get one dollar bill that doesn't smell like drugs in this world. You heard that, that you, you know, all, all the money comes through? Every, all of them will have a trace of drugs on them because that's the society we live in. And sometimes people say, when I die, or when somebody dies, I'm going to leave the money. The issue isn't what we're going to leave, it's what are we doing with it now? What have we got now that we're doing with it? As you go shopping today, don't get caught up in the. Bending frenzy that they have. And don't give the, tell, let your kids watch all those commercials. Because they'll want one of each. I'll tell you, I wish I'd have had a DVR of my kids were growing up. I'd have fast-forwarded right past all those commercials for them. Because they want, oh, I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. Because they are in the business of getting you to, I want that. And you know, as parents, it's hard when a kid wants something not to give something to them. I remember we looked all over the place for a Godzilla when Jason was a kid. He wanted a Godzilla. And I'm not kidding you, we went all over the place. We called stores and we did everything. He finally found one. And he, he finally uh, got it. He loved it. He went in the garage and got his dad's torch out, lit it, and played Godzilla with the basement and started a fire. Because so, Godzilla's got to breathe fire. There's more to that story. Well, that's the, that's the gist of it. <laughs> so what are we doing with our time <laughs> yeah yeah we know <laughs> so what are we doing with our time what are we doing with our tithe? only our heart can answer that don't get caught up in that don't get caught buying stuff that you can't afford and paying for it until next Christmas if they love you, if your friends love you, they will love you. If you don't buy them a present, just give them a card. Because it is the thought. I don't like Christmas shopping. I'm so glad when I decided to write checks. It was cheaper. Did you know that? It's cheaper. I went out there one year and started buying stuff for each one of my grandkids. And I'm like, can you just buy a little disc, little CD disc things? They're like 80 bucks. That's a lot, you know, for a decent one. I thought, well, this is easy. I'll just give the parents money. They can spend it. It's always the right color, the right size, and it always fits. No problem. But we do have to buy something for Randy's dad because he sends us money, and so we can't send him money back. And uh, besides that, I wouldn't send him as much money as he sent me. So, <laughs> but don't forget, God at Christmas time, it's God's c- perfect gift. is Christmas. Yeah. Don't get caught up in it. We can only serve one master. You can either serve mam- mammoth, which is capitalized in that verse, because a lot of people has made that their God. Or we can serve God. We can't serve them both. Be careful this Christmas season. Don't get so caught up in the giving and the getting that we forget the reason for the season. Amen? Let's pray. Our present Father, Lord, I'm thankful.